Welcome to the Kara's Cure Show, where we explore the cutting edge of wellness. I'm Kara Sundland. Thanks for being here. Today is Holocaust Remembrance Day. And so often we might be wondering, like, how could something like the Holocaust have ever happened? Even now, as more genocide happens around the world, and what really leads up to that with human behavior? Well, I'm joined by clinical psychologist Dr. Emily Basha, who is a Jewish Iraqi woman who lived through Haddam Hussein. She is also, uh, she's out with a new book called Addictive Ideologies, and her co-author, Paul Johnson, who was also mayor in Phoenix and has worked on many campaigns, is also here as they've looked at this and tried to answer some of those questions. So thank you both for being here. Thank you, Kara, for having us. We so appreciate it. You know, I, Anti-Semitism has certainly been on the rise. We've seen it in pop culture with comments uh, that Kanye West has made recently and, and others. Can you speak to why you think we're seeing more of this right now? Yes, that's a really great, great question. Um, first of all, I, I just want to take a moment to honor it, since it is a Holocaust Remembrance Day, to honor the countless victims of anti-Semitism, given that's, that it's on a rise today but it's always been there and it's always ebbed and flowed. Um, and not just for the Jewish populations, uh, but for so many populations who were identified based on their group membership, whether it's the race or the religion um, or their ideology, what they believed in. Uh, and unfortunately, hate is on the rise. In our book, Addictive Ideologies, Finding Meaning and Agency When Politics Fails You, we really describe what's going on. And just if I could take a moment and maybe give some historical relevance uh, in order to answer your question about anti-Semitism and to give you a bit more of my personal background and history, uh, my family suffered persecution in Iraq as Jews. It is actually the same day, January 27, um, but it was actually 1969, so years after uh, 1945, when the Auschwitz-Birkenau concentration camps were liberated, uh, there were these mass public hangings of Jews. They were accused for being spies for Israel and conspirators against the government during the time of the rise of the Ba'ath Party under Saddam Hussein's regime. It was a horrific time for my family um, that followed assaults on the Jewish population. Um, and these are things that happened in modern times. In our lives, uh, their people were taken. Uh, they disappeared in the middle of the night. My grandfather was abducted by the government. He was taken into a prison that was called the Palace of No Return uh, because any prisoners who went in never were released or heard from again. And there are countless stories of resilience and bravery and courage. My mother went to the headquarters of the Secret Service to, uh, begging them to release her father. My uncle, before escaping through Iran, uh, confronted uh, the government and also wrote a letter to journalists who were in Denmark. Um, there are these countless stories of bravery. But the real question is, how did this happen? And to answer your question about anti-Semitism today, the real answer is not seeing the other as humans, not seeing the sheer humanity that exists in all. Once you group another person as immigrants, uh, African-Americans, Asian-Americans, as Muslims, as Jews, whatever, liberals, as Republicans, whatever you want to label them as, you're, you're already starting to 
um, remove the shared humanity and not see them as individual people. And that is dangerous. I think the uh, I think one of the keys to that is, you know, we, we interviewed a number of people. Emily has uh, done forensic uh, evaluations of terrorists, of people who've been committed to uh, capital crimes. But we also interviewed a lot of people who actually went through this Iraqi Holocaust. And one of the questions that we asked is, well, why did it happen? What, what took place? Some people would just blame that on the fact that the other people were Arabs. They, they see the Arabs as having that issue. Well, of course, that begs the question, what happened in Nazi Germany? Was it just Germans that had the problem? Or if you go to Bosnia, one of the stories that was given to me by, we had had a number of people that we'd interviewed on uh, the Bosnian uh, Holocaust. And you know, the, um, one of the stories I remember hearing was that they would have these uh, massive trenches that they would bury people in. And in one case, the United States military was coming up to a trench and there was guys there with tractors and shovels and they were putting dirt down in the trench. But when they saw the US military, they ran. When our guys got up to the, the trench, there were still live people inside of it, live children inside of it. Mm. Again, the question is, here it was Christians persecuting Muslims. When you start looking at this problem, what you begin to recognize is that all of us are susceptible to this, every one of us. And what happens is um, anti-Semitism is really about bigotry. And bigotry is defined as identifying someone else as a member of a group and then uh, than discriminating against them. So when we, we look at it from our society standpoint, I think the beginning point for us is we have to figure out that we have to be accountable as part of this process. So it's, it's easy to say, well, look at what the other side is doing wrong. Look at what the other party is doing wrong. It's more important that we look at ourselves and recognize that this fundamental thing is true. There's good and evil inside of each one of us. Mm -hmm. And all of us have to be accountable for our own actions. I, I agree with all those premises that you're that you're describing. I think as the average American, they're looking at Congress right now and uh, here in the United States anyway, I think the average American is probably feeling frustrated. Like, why are these two sides? Um, why is there just so much uh, anger? Why does it seem like it's not OK to compromise anymore? I want to speak to you, Paul. It, what is happening politically and how do we how do we turn it back to something more positive? Yeah, so, so what happens in Congress is partly a reflection of who it is that votes for them. And if you look at what happens inside of our current primary system, if you did the math, you would figure out that about less than 6% of the people vote in the Democratic primary, less than 6% of the American public vote in a Republican primary. A very small percentage of people vote in these primaries, and they tend to elect the most ideologically pure. They, they these voters have been distilled down as now 44% of American voters are independents. Well, those voters tend to be more extreme. At least the majority of them tend to be more extreme. And so the candidates reflect their values. I, I do think the reason people are registering as independents is because they're becoming frustrated by this. It's not what they see. You know, the, the beginning point for us is um, Emily does a lot of work on what's called the amygdala hijack, but you have to start by knowing the truth. And the truth is we have amazing gifts in this country. The fears that we have that China might outdo us or that our children won't do as well as we uh, have done or that, or that I'm going to lose my job to technology. Almost all of those things aren't true. What is true is that we're living in one of the greatest places in one of the greatest points in time. 
Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't look at our problems and the challenges that we have, but finding a level of optimism and figuring out why it is that we should work together is, is important in this process. Yeah, just to piggyback on, on Paul's part, just to talk about the process and how uh, media and politics uh, do control how we think, feel, vote, um, when you were talking about this rise of fear, uh, even a sense of like paranoia or a sense of persecution and loss, that is done purposefully um, because it triggers our limbic system. So what's happening uh, with the neural circuitry is we go into this fight or flight or freeze mode uh, when we have a perceived sense of threat. And this is opportunistic for people who do want to control uh, our perceptions and skew um, our cognitive uh, processes and also create inherent biases. The problem is fear sticks, paranoia sticks. It's hard for us to then use our frontal lobe and think through things rationally, looking for the evidence. Well, what are the pros and cons? What are the facts here? Um, and at that point, we really surrender to the person who's providing us the simple solution. Well, let's just blame the Jews. Well, let's just blame the immigrants. Let's just find this po political party and focus our blame on them. It helps to absolve us of our responsibility, which is the risk that we talk about in our book, Addictive Ideologies. Well, and, and that's, tell me a little bit, why did you decide to write this book? Are you concerned that these addictive ideologies are growing to a point that we really need to be, we need to be uh, cautious? I, I think we do need to be cautious. The, um, you know, look, the, again, there's, there's good and evil inside of each one of us. I, I love Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who uh, ended up writing the Gulag Archipelago, and he, he spoke about um, not only, you know, what, what uh, evil Stalin had done to him, but he spoke about his own evil when he was shipping out the Kulags for the farmers into Siberia. And by, by starting with a recognition of who we are, we begin to make a change. The, you know, what you'd like to come to in the book is, is to blame one political leader or blame one political party. And our answer to you is that that just isn't simply going to work. You know, nobody's going to listen to you blaming the other side. There's an abundance of that going on today. All you have to do is turn on you know, C-SPAN and you can watch Congress on a nightly basis blaming the other side or another person. But if we start with how we think about other people, you know, one of the comments that I had made to my brother, he was a gunny in the Marine Corps, served the country honorably, but we go running all the time. He can outrun me like crazy. And uh, I think he was making me run a little too far one time. We got into a little argument and I said, well, what did what'd you learn that on Fox News? Now, that created a rift between us. All right. Here's the challenge. If you really think about what was I saying, I was insulting him. Right? I was saying, where you get your news from makes you lesser of a person than where I'm coming from. Right Now, from his standpoint, certainly, I, I really believe people need to become more resilient to listening to other ideas. But I also believe that I hold responsibility to not do that, to listen to him, to give him a chance to have his say, to respect his point of view as his own opinion, regardless of where he heard the information from. Yeah. And, and, and Dr., Extremism is certainly prevalent uh, in America right now, but you say one of the solutions is optimism. 
Yes, absolutely. So when I was talking about that form of mind control and perceptual distortions, it can be hard to see the truth. Um, and especially if we're fueled by emotional uh, dysregulation or we're led by emotional reasoning, um, our fear can take control of us. Our anger and hostility can take control of us. Just to follow up on Paul's points in my clinical therapy and populations that I serve, uh, I was seeing a growing rise in people feeling more anxious, more disillusioned. Uh, they were thinking about leaving America. Uh, and these are working professionals. These are uh, well-educated people. These are hardworking people. And I think, what is going on? Um, and how do we restore hope and optimism in America today? Uh, and so this was also one of the inspirations for Paul and I to write this book. And through our service and work with community and uh, what we do, uh, what Paul does politically, what I do also forensically and clinically, we came up with these seven ideals, which are really recommendations for people at an individual level. Um, and what we want to do ultimately is restore meaning and hope and give people a path to see, don't just give your power away. Don't you see if you kill somebody out of hatred and spite and resentment, um, that that is a way of giving up your power and agency. One of the philosophies I have is really coming from an empowerment theoretically based model. And that's helping people to see solutions, even if they feel that their options are constrained. And I do see that happening in America today. There are some trends uh, and it is concerning. We have a two-year-old daughter and you know, I want to create a future that I want her to grow up in. Uh, one that doesn't have anti-Semitism. And I know it's aspirational and idealistic, but I want to contribute to that future for her. Yeah. Well, and, and I'll ask this to both of you, but I think people, uh, especially, you know, just the, the the regular folks who might be watching this right now are going, well, what can I do about this? This is just the way it is. I mean, Congress, the, the, we've never been so divided. You hear that a lot, that the world is so divided right now. So from an empowering perspective, and you study the mind, what can we do? Well, let me give you a couple of things. It starts with this. Um, you know, I, I don't believe we're any more polarized than we have been in the last 200 years in the United States. Um, we are divided. You know, there's there's urban and rural. There's black and white. There's men and women. There's old and young. Those divisions exist, and they're real divisions, and they're, they're areas that create disagreements amongst us. But we still have the ability to work together. Now, free speech, to me, is one of the most important concepts to be a supporter of. Free speech is messy. People say terrible things through free speech, but the process happens that as that speech takes place, someone else speaks up on the other side. And as that begins to happen, we begin to create some thesis or a synthesis that, that, that all of us can begin to live with. Great ideas come out of this country. Great processes come out of this country, but almost always through a very, very messy process. What we see on the far right and the far left, on the far right, we have the alt-right, which um, their view of the world is that there's a supreme race. And they believe that they've been oppressed by the liberal elite, by the media, by other people, and otherwise they would have reached their full potential. But they see the world in terms of an oppressed, 
and an oppressor, even though they may be the majority, they think they're the oppressed, which is not, which happens oftentimes in, in countries where Holocaust takes place. On the other side, you have a woke left. The woke left looks at the world in terms of the oppressed and the oppressor, right? They, they see that there's a white patriarchy or white privilege and that those things cause the problem. Now, the interesting thing for the Jewish community, and this has happened to them throughout history, is that on the alt-right, they dislike the Jewish community because they think they're an inferior race. On the alt-left, they kind of dislike the Jewish community because they see them as having white privilege and that there's some colonialized power in the Middle East that they've been taking over Israel, which by the way isn't true, but it doesn't matter. These two, these two sides like to frame people in terms of groups. The beginning point for all of us is to recognize the magic of the United States, which did start in 1776, is, was based upon the concept that all people are created equal and were endowed upon by our creator with certain inalienable rights. That was the moral doctrine for the constitution. Right. It came from the Declaration of Independence, but it was the moral doctrine that the Constitution was based upon. That meant there was a focus on individuals. As long as we're, whether you're on the right or the left, Republican, Democrat or independent, so long as you can believe that it starts with the individual, that we're going to judge people by the content of their character, not by the color of their skin, not by their gender, not by where they're coming from. We have a chance of being able to make this work. But we play a role in that. So this labeling concept becomes really important. You know, if I if I get mad at Emily and, and I say, oh, well, you know, you're just uh, you're you're being a witch to me. What I'm doing is I'm labeling her, creating a justification in my mind for why I can act wrong to her. Right. How do I fix that communication? Not by itself. If I don't see her as a person, as an individual that has needs and desires and concerns, it's going to be really hard for us to communicate. That's true in politics as well. Right. We have to see people as individuals. So, Dr. Basha, we've been seeing about this in the news, right? We had the Kanye West incident of, uh, and, and we've gotten cancel culture where he's lost a lot of uh, his uh, endorsements and all this. But so as we look at this now, I'll go back to one of my first questions. When you're seeing in popular culture, you're saying it is true that anti-Semitism is on the rise. So how can we prevent anti-Semitism and some of these extreme ideologies? We have to not be afraid to have those difficult conversations, as Paul was saying, and really identify what is going on and see the process that exists and how we as individuals contribute to it, either by staying silent, um, not standing up for what we personally believe in, not defending what we believe in, um, or justifying it because we're saying, oh, that's just another problem that exists over here. I'm untouched by it. Um, and I can comfortably live in my delusional bubble because it's not something that's really going to inherently touch my family or my life. That is an error in judgment. And as we've seen across history, across time, across people, that is not true. And you know, justifying that these labels exist, um, you are also perpetuating the problem. Uh, just going back historically, we are today's Holocaust Remembrance Day. What is the point of remembering the Holocaust? It's to remember what had happened in the past so that we never repeat that again. Both sides suffered. Uh, there was tremendous loss of Jewish lives 
Um, but look at what happened to the people who participated in it. No matter which angle that you're looking at it from, it's it's extreme loss and uh, torment and torture. And it doesn't just rest in that generation. It continues. Trauma perpetuates intergenerationally, as we see. I personally see great strength because of what my grandmother did and what my grandfather did and what they survived through. Um, and that is a legacy that I have in my family that I'm passing on. It is dignity, it is courage, it is bravery. Um, that's a powerful story. And if we just allow these things, uh, discrimination or justifying group labels, um, participating or even being silent as it exists, we are also perpetuating the problem. And going back to the individual, you're giving up your agency and your power. Why on earth would you do that? Look at what your options are. Don't you want to see and have some control and power in your life and what you exercise? It is all important to create this life that's worth living for. I would, I would say we definitely need political reform. Um, I, I think allowing the political parties to maintain control over our partisan candidates is problematic for America. I think what's happening at our local government level is much better where you have kind of a post-partisan uh, primaries or parties don't run them. But, but political reform by itself will not fix this. We have to understand our own individual role. And that means that you, you have to know the truth. You have to be accountable for what you do. You need to find meaning and purpose in your life. You need to grow strength as opposed to looking for safety. You have to recognize that you belong to something really amazing, really awesome. And as you as you begin to gain those things back, you're building your individual agency. And that, to me, is the key. A lot of people fear that um, we hear about this uh, all the time now, um, that perhaps democracy is in danger in the United States and that, you know, we are moving toward these more dictator type winners, um, the fear that that could happen. How do these, uh, you've done this study, so how do the uh, dictators, so to speak, or the autocrats become elected? And are you worried for democracy in America? We should always be worried for democracy. I mean, that, that I think, is, is really key for our, uh, for our democracy to survive. I, I do want to start with this. I think that it's overblown. I think that uh, I think that the United States is in an incredibly good position in many, many different ways. Economically, we're in a good position. I think certainly we're in a great position geographically, demographically. Uh, we have divisions, but those divisions are a source of our strength, not our weakness. Those divisions are key for us being able to build what we have today. That means that if you want to stop those the tyrants from taking over, you need to recognize the benefits that we have so that you are no longer afraid. It's that fear that gives the amygdala hijack the ability to take over your ability to have rational thought. Now, rational thoughts where people innovate and where they create and it's where lovemaking comes from. It's all those other things. So if, if you allow that fear to dominate you, you've empowered the tyrant and you've disempowered yourself. That's, that's the beginning point of the key. Yeah. Is it going to happen in America? Certainly it could. Our, our founding president talked, spoke about that being a, uh, being a key. Yeah, so Dr. Um, the, 
Sorry about that. Oh, that's okay. I just know we're going we're gonna to wind down here a little bit. So, Doctor, let me ask you this from a psychological perspective. We all have fear, right? We might have even heard that false evidence appearing real. But what do we do uh, when we are in a culture of fear right now? So what's your advice and what we might teach our kids so that we can prevent anti-Semitism and protect the values that so many Americans hold dear as far as democracy? You know, I think education is really important. And again, on Holocaust Remembrance Day, we're remembering for a purpose. Um, and I look back to what my parents endured in Iraq. There was no justice system. Anybody can point to a neighbor or a person that they knew, just the fact that they were Jewish, um, because they wanted to seize their assets. They wanted to take their house. They had nice, fine Persian carpets, or they were their business partner and wanted to take over the business. Um, and they're at any point in any time, anyone could be taken and jailed and tortured and disappeared and killed. Uh, you know, these are horrific things that happen with authoritarian governments and dictatorships. This is possible and it can happen here. America has a very rich, beautiful history. Uh, many people have sacrificed their lives for the freedoms that, that they have. I know what that alternative is. And, you know, it's, it's a luxury that my daughter can grow up and not knowing that, not really, really appreciating or understanding what the alternative is. But through education, uh, through information, through travel, through exposure, through expanding her mind and really appreciating and understanding, we have to preserve our freedoms and our rights. I am a woman who has a doctorate, doctorate in psychology I have a business. I have a private practice. I own property. These are all things that I would not be able to do uh, had I been born in Iraq. Just based on my membership of being an American, all these freedoms and rights and liberties, we have a justice system. It's not perfect, but it exists. And what a wonderful thing as a result. And so I think through education and also shifting our perspective to really see what do we have to fight for? It, it's a privilege to be able to um, express our dissent for our government. That is a wonderful thing. And that is a privilege, not an inherent right. We have to fight to protect that and preserve that. We do not want the alternative, but yet we should really appreciate the alternative exists. Let Holocaust Remembrance Day be a reminder to us. I want to thank you both for your time. And again, the book... Um uh, is is it available everywhere if people want to read more on what you've uh, what you've come together to teach? Yes, addictive ideologies, finding meaning and agency when politics fail fail you. Um, you can find it on Amazon or search online. It's available. Um, also, you can find out more about these seven ideals that we talk about as personal recommendations to help improve your life and uh, promoting meaning in your life and uh, hope versus despair on the Optimistic American podcast. Yeah, okay, absolutely. Well, I love the idea that you married some psychology with politics. Uh, I myself am the, in the, is, am the daughter of a Jewish bomber pilot from World War II who managed to survive. Oh, wow. So I, 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 I get where you're coming from and, and the importance of, um, uh, you know, a lot of people who have kids right now are going, gosh, is, uh, where are we headed? So uh, if I can sum up what you're saying, um, we got a lot of good things to celebrate, too. We just to be, need to be mindful of that fear. Exactly. exactly. Thank you. 
Thanks, right, Kara, for having us on your show. I appreciate it. Absolutely, and good luck with the book. Thanks for coming on. And thank you for being here for Kara's Cures, where we explore the cutting edge of wellness. If you ever have an idea, uh, feel free to contact me on social media. You can always find me at Kara Sundlin. I also enjoy posting this content there, so you can make sure to uh, follow along and also download the Kara's Cures podcast. Have a great day, everyone, and be well.